Pastor Xavier Reese assures the simple truths of the gospel extend to whosoever believes. People always ask about those who never heard the gospel uh, before anybody dies. He has to give them opportunity. John 3.16 is the invitation. And if he sent the son to die for the whole world, then he has to give everybody an opportunity in the whole world. Otherwise, he can't be just. He can't be fair, right? He takes that responsibility. He's holy. He's just. And he holds himself responsible for that. It's just real simple. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Scripture assures us that God the Creator does love the world and is just to those who accept His free gift of salvation. But that begs the question, how will He reveal Himself to every person? Well, in a Simple Truths study titled, God is Faithful to Save Man, Pastor Xavier offers up an example from the New Testament book of Acts of assurance on how God is working toward that end. Many people often ask, how will God judge the individual who has uh, never heard the gospel? And how will they hear the gospel if no person is sent? Paul the Apostle brings that up and, and affirms that God will send men in Romans ten fourteen through 15. It is through the gospel, through men, that God uses this gospel to be proclaimed and for people open their heart. Though there are no simple answers to this and many other questions, we know that the scripture reveals to us the sufficient information about God. That He assures us that He is just, He's flawless in judgment, and that He never holds man responsible for what He's ignorant of, but He only holds man responsible for what He's willfully ignorant of. He rejects it. Knowing this truth should cause us to rest in the perfect judgment of God and to only resort to what is revealed about God and we rest in that understanding because we can't understand how, when, or where. That doesn't put God in some kind of pressure. He's not biting his nails. He created this whole thing. He put it together. He's able to run it. And so to understand God's fervent love for lost man, and his willingness to reach him with the gospel, we want to look at how God revealed himself to Cornelius with the gospel in chapter 10. Now, some preliminary things. The preaching of the gospel to the house of Cornelius is one of the most important events in the book of Acts. It is recorded twice for us. It is here in chapter 10, and then the first 18 verses in chapter 11, as Peter goes back and recounts it to Jerusalem because he got himself in trouble going to the Gentiles. But it's very important, it's recorded twice, in, in spite of the, the need to save uh, space in the writing, um, he records it twice. Now, God had made the Jews and Gentile one, breaking down the middle wall of partition. Paul makes this very clear in Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. Uh, this is the mystery hidden before, but now made known. Uh, he has already prepared the road with Philip for Samaria and Acts 8 and the Ethiopian eunuch, already reaching the gospel. Now, God's revelation to Cornelius and Peter become the authoritative evidence for accepting the Gentiles as part of the church. This is brought up in the first church council in Acts 15 when we get there. That God did this and God brought this in and they are to be accepted only by grace through faith, not anything else. There was always a danger that the church would be an extension of Judaism. And God would not allow that. So Jesus had told Peter that to him were given the keys of the kingdom. And he did open up in the day of Pentecost. He did preach. And here we have 
Peter being used also to bring the Gentiles in. Very important. And so, the preaching of the gospel, the house of Cornelius, consists of three natural movements. We want to look at them this way. The common thread is visitation. And so we have in verse 1 and 8, Cornelius was visited by an angel. Secondly, 9 through 23, Peter was visited by the Lord. And then 24 through 48, Cornelius was visited by Peter. And God shows us how he reaches this man. A good foundation and principle for all who will hear the gospel. Cornelius was visited by the angel first. Notice, verse 1 and 2, the identification of Cornelius is given to us. He's a resident of the city of Caesarea. Caesarea in the Mediterranean, prominent Gentile city. Notice Cornelius in verse 1 was a soldier by occupation. He had a common name. 10,000 slaves had been given this name by their uh, liberator, Cornelius Sula, in 82 B.C. His name means horn, or of a horn, and horn is symbol of power. Uh, it's of Latin origin. Um, he was a centurion over a hundred men, one-sixth of a regiment or cohort, which comprises uh, 600 men, ten cohorts, making a legion, 6,000. And he was over in the telling regiment, so he was a foreigner, a non-commissioned officer that worked his way all the way up through the ranks. And he would be comparable to a captain or a company commander today. Notice in verse 2, Cornelius was a religious man also. He was a devout man, meaning pious, devoted to the worship of God. But as we're going to see, he doesn't know God. But, but he's noted for this here. He was a God-fearer, most likely, that he had accepted the Jewish faith, but also it says here his family. Uh, so he was a proselyte of the gate, probably shy of circumcision, and we see through the scriptures there's those who, who were proselytes completely being circumcised, and then you have those who were proselytes of the gates. Um, he gave alms generously also to the people. He was a compassionate man to the poor and needy, and most likely it was to the Jewish community because he had a reputation among the Jews in verse 22. He prayed to God, notice, always. And the word, therefore, prayer, means to beg for what you're asking for. Chapter 11, verse 14, tells us he was praying for his family's salvation. Uh, so it gives us a little fuller uh, picture when we read that. And the word for prayer is always in reference to God, indicating uh, being a sincere seeker. He's, he's, he's seeking God. Uh, he's responding to the measure of light that he had. This is what's important here with Cornelius. As you know, the Jews pray three times a day, at 9, 12, and at 3. Now, verse 3 through 6, we have the revelation to Cornelius. In verse 3, Cornelius was visited by an angel here. He was praying the ninth hour, again, 3 o'clock in the uh, afternoon, the time of sacrifice. And this was the very hour where the veil of the temple was rent when Jesus Christ was crucified. Luke 23, 42. Heaven had been opened to all now. You see, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. Interesting, the parallel of the times. Uh, he was allowed to see a vision in verse 3, namely, clearly, plainly, openly. And it's a vision while he's awake, not a, a dream while he's asleep. Whether he saw the actual angel, whether it was in some kind of vision form, we're not sure. But he definitely saw it clearly. Um, this word appears 12 times in the New Testament. Eleven are found in the book of Acts. Now, notice the vision was an angel of the Lord coming to him and calling out his name, Cornelius. God knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows what's up. Uh, verse 4, Cornelius responded to the angel in reverence. He observed 
It means to look steadfastly, to fix his eyes upon. The same word is used of the apostles when they watched Jesus ascend in Acts 1.10 and 3.4 when Peter set his eyes on the lame man. Same word. Ten of the fourteen appearances are found in the book of Acts with this word. Now, notice he feared. It means frightened or terrified. He was trembling. Now think about it. This guy is a salty soldier. He's freaked out. Everybody's brave here on earth, but not before God. <laughs> he recognized the vision as divine, submitting himself by the words, What is it, Lord? Notice what he was told in verse 4. Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. This does not mean that God forgot and all of a sudden he remembered. <laughs> he just recalled it to his mind at that time. This does not mean that Cornelius knew God, but he knew that God existed. Okay? Because if Cornelius was saved, this, this, this event wouldn't have to happen. You understand? <laughs> but God saw the sincere of his heart to the measure of light that he possessed. Verse 5 and 6, Cornelius was given then instructions by the angel. Notice in verse 5, he was to send to Joppa for Peter. The city of Joppa, 30 miles south of Caesarea, the place where Jonah fled from the Lord. <laughs> he was to send for. The Greek is the middle imperative, indicating Simon, whose surname was Peter, would have a message for him. There was a purpose behind the sending. And in verse 6, he was to obey the message of Peter. This was not an option. Peter was at Simon the Tanner's house by the seaside. God takes him directly. Is it difficult for God to reach and find somebody? No. Tanners were held in supreme contempt, as you know. They dealt with animals and skinning them and butchering them, so they were unclean. Their house had to be at least 50 cubits from the, outside the city. And um, if they were betrothed, the girl could be released to break that betrothal. So we even see the doors being broken down here already. Peter's come out, but not all the way. He's already seen about the Ethiopians, the Samaritans. He's, he's, he's been there with a tanner. He can't get more unclean than that. But he still has a problem with Gentiles, you understand? Interesting. So Peter would tell him what he must do. Notice that in verse 6. The submission of Cornelius by obeying then is given to us in verse 7 and 8. In 7 he calls his servants and a soldier in prompt obedience. And he did it as soon as the angel departed. He didn't procrastinate. The two household servants were equally devoted to God, his whole household. And the soldier waited on him continually. This man was uh, quite a man. A man of character, and yet he, he didn't know God. Now in verse 8, he sent them to Joppa. And Cornelius uh, reveals the appearance of the angel, uh, his fear, and all the instruction. This man opens his heart. He's vulnerable. He's not proudful. He's not ashamed to admit to these soldiers that serve him that he was in fear. Amazing to me. Notice then Cornelius then sent them to Joppa. He sends them by the direction of God. Now, you remember Noah. Noah was instructed by God to obey and build a boat because he was going to bring judgment. And he did this knowing that all the people knew God. They were close to the creation, close to Adam, all the people. They lived 969 years, the longest one, Methuselah. They knew. But they did not glorify him as God. It's not sufficient to know about God, but you've got to Make him yours. When some of the unreached tribes were reached, they told of divine messengers that told them that others would soon come to proclaim a message. Just like we see here, we have it today. 
But we think we have God cornered. Well, I don't know how they're, because I can't understand it, then God's in trouble with me. That's interesting. Uh, people always ask about those who never heard the gospel. But Cornelius here is a classic example of God making himself known uh, before anybody dies. He has to give them an opportunity to respond. John 3.16 is the invitation. And if he sent the son to die for the whole world, then he has to give everybody an opportunity in the whole world. Otherwise, he can't be judged. He can't be fair, right? It's just real simple. He takes that responsibility. He's holy. He's just. He holds himself responsible for that. Now, God looks at the heart and responds to the measure of light that a person possesses. When a person rejects that light, it becomes greater darkness. Listen to Matthew thirteen fifteen. Uh, for the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Listen, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. It is a willful choice to turn away from the measure of light. Don't ever say, yeah, yeah, I've heard the gospel. You should fear if you've heard the gospel, you haven't done anything about it. You really should. God gave the Amorites time to repent. About 400 years. And then, because they didn't repent, God sent Israel as a judgment tool. Listen to Genesis 15, 16. They should silence you about God's injustice that you think he, he exercises. It says, But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Genesis 15, 16. God gave them a time. How he communicated, we don't know, but he did. And they did not repent. So what happened? God judged them. Real interesting. God could have preached the gospel to Cornelius to the angel, but he directed him to Peter. Because God uses man to preach the gospel. I don't know why. Angels could do a better job, but he's chosen us. Cannot God have done this in the past and still be doing this today with those unreached groups of people in the world? Even as God sends missionaries? Of course he can. Paul answers this in the affirmative in Romans 10, 14 through 18. Absolutely. So Cornelius was visited by an angel of God. This is the first step. God is working with this man. The next movement we see now, Peter was visited by the Lord. He's going to put them together. Verse 9 through 13. Notice 9 through 12. The revelation to Peter was described here. In verse 9, the activity of Peter is stated. The time was after the angel had appeared to Cornelius the next day. And the process was that those sent by Cornelius were entering the city at the very time. Now the apostle Peter went up to the rooftop, as it says here in verse 9, to pray. The errors indicates definite prayers. And what happens in prayer is that you go to prayer so that God can move you along and align you with his will. See, we think prayer is to asking for God and to change God's mind, to convince him. And to have him feel sorry for us. No, that's not what prayer is about. Peter's ignorant of this. The time is... The sixth hour, 12 p.m., 21 hours have passed, and Peter was completely ignorant to all this that's going on, that the men are coming, they're going to be there, and God is going to align him with it. Is that difficult for God? No. The condition of Peter is declared. He is very, very hungry. Verse 10 says, the Greek tense indicates a desire to eat and taste for himself, appearing only this time. And probably because, you know, the tanner's wife is probably cooking, preparing, and he's getting a little hungry. Uh, he fell into a trance there's this time there in verse 10. And the word means ecstasy. Literally to stand outside of oneself. It's used of Paul when Jesus appeared to him in the temple in Acts 22, 17 and 18. And so God is dealing with him. He's ministering to him. The vision of Peter is revealed to us in verse 11 and 12. 
He saw the heavens open, uh, an object like a great sheet bound in the four corners. Um, the word great sheet simply means uh, a linen sheet. And he saw it descending to him to the earth. And the implication being that revelation was from God. The intended recipient needing this revelation was man. Peter specifically. This is an important moment in church history. The Gentile are going to be brought into the church officially. And he and all, all these kinds of four-footed beasts, in verse 12 says, animals of the earth, beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. Now, now being a Jew, he's familiar with all this. This is, uh, this is taboo. This is uh, abominable stuff. You know, you don't eat this kind of stuff. Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14 is a good Jew. And so he's kind of confused, you know, and rightly so. We have to give him a little break. Um, but, you know, uh, God is going to change his heart here. In verse 13 through 16, we get the explanation of the vision to Peter, and, and it's emphasized here. Peter heard a voice, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. This was an imperative command, not a suggestion. This was personal to Peter. Peter immediately responded in his Jewish upbringing. Though he's a Christian, his background is Jewish. Not so, Lord. The very words were contradiction. For a Christian to put no and Lord in the same sentence is incongruous. It doesn't fit. He gives his explanation though. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. This is his testimony of obedience to the law. Ezekiel did the same thing in Ezekiel 4.14, remember? He didn't want to defile himself. And yet in 15 here, Peter was given the correction and explanation of his contradiction. Don't miss it. This was the second time God spoke to Peter. The voice was the same from heaven as in verse 13. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Underline that, put stars around it. Always go back to that. When you get self-righteous. When you've got a checklist. Okay? Ooh, this will nail you good. This is a message. Real simple. Straightforward. This was the first step towards the interpretation. The word cleanse, katharizo, is in the errors. God actually made clean. He's not just saying that. He's actually made you and me clean. You understand? Wow. Physically, removing all sin, spot, and dirt. It's used for the cleansing of the leper in Matthew 8, 2, and 3. Morally and spiritually, free from all defile and purity of sin. Hebrews 9, 14. This word is used by a psychologist, catharsis. So they let you go in a room and beat a dummy or something to let all your aggressions out. The problem is that once the steam is gone, it'll build up again. What you've got to do is go to the source of the steam, the heart. You need to be transformed, not taught behavioral modification. It's quite inferior to transformation. Remember the Gentiles were considered by the Jews as unclean dogs. They were simply created... To kindle the fires of hell. Do you understand the, the prejudice here? You, you, we think we, we had a problem with black and white during the 50s, the 60s. This stuff is heavy, heavier. You understand? But we pass it like, oh yeah. <laughs> this is heavy duty stuff that's going on here. Peter was told three times in verse 16. The message is unmistakable from God. By the threefold repetition. Peter denied the Lord three times, Luke twenty two sixty one. Do you think this kind of rang a bell? Jesus asked Peter if he loved them three times in John 21, 13, 17. 
<laughs> Remember, Paul asked the Lord three times to remove that thorn in the flesh away. In 2 Corinthians 12, 8. God said, my grace is sufficient. Hmm. The object was taken back to heaven again, affirming the origin of the trance and affirming the authority of the command. It was from God. Now, when you get to 17 through 23, the confirmation of the vision to Peter was revealed now. In 17, the apostle Peter looked, wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant. I mean, he's perplexed. He can't put the things together. The word wondering means to be perplexed and to be entirely at loss. The struggle was a real one. It just doesn't fit. You've been there? <laughs> and the man, at the very same time, in verse 17, arrived and inquired if it was the house of Simon, and they stood before the gate. These Gentiles are being very courteous, respectful. They don't want to go in and contaminate the house of who? Simon the Tanner? <laughs> kind of comical, isn't it? God has a sense of humor. Notice how God works on both ends and brings them together. He's a God of order, not of confusion. The word behold marks unexpectedness, surprise. We read it over and over again. It's kind of like the Ethiopian. Behold a man, an Ethiopian. <laughs> the men then inquired to see in verse 18 if Simon Peter was lodging there. And then what we get in verse 19 and 20 is the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter to go with the men. So God is working here. They're coming in. Peter's up. He's ignorant of the whole thing. Now the Spirit nails him. It was while Peter thought, notice in verse 19, about the vision that the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. And though the Spirit commanded Peter, Arise therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. We looked at the message last time of how it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the whole work through the book of Acts. And how He's the one that's doing the work in our lives, right? He's the, he's the one who does the ministry of Jesus today, right? The phrase doubting nothing means uh, without hesitation. The context is, uh, is taking action without delay. Now this was the second step that would lead uh, Peter to a clear interpretation of the vision. So you ever do one of those puzzles, you put one little piece at a time, you get a better picture every time? Starts getting clearer and clearer. This is what's going on. One step at a time. This is the second step. This is directly. I've sent them. You go. Don't hesitate. The word of God and the spirit of God are one. They never contradict. So you need to know the word of God to make sure it's the spirit of God who's, who's teaching it. And what is being taught. You understand? Now look at verse 21 and 22. The men revealed the angel's appearance confirming the Holy Spirit's instructions. Which helped Peter put things together more. In verse 21, Peter went down to the men sent from Cornelius said, Yes, I am whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And so Peter was told several things by the men, which only confirmed things a little more. The unclean Gentile was introduced first in verse 22 there. They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, who uh, fears God, good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. The divine command was communicated was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house. And the gospel commission was stated, and to hear words from you. What did Peter have to give them? Only the gospel. Nothing else. All this information was the thirst that bringing Peter 
to a clear interpretation of his vision. Well, we're going to have to end our Simple Truth study for today right here, as Pastor Xavier Reese will be providing the conclusion to Peter's ministry to the Gentile Cornelius in our next get-together. Now, if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, though, you can always pick up a copy of this message. And the title to ask for is, God is Faithful to Save Man. It's available on CD for just $4. And make sure you pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study. So once again, the title to ask for is, God is Faithful to Save Man. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Is your eternal salvation secure? Pastor Xavier Reese explains that since God has done his part, man is without excuse. That's next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 